Amen. Thanks, Camille. You can be seated. Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the elders here at Ecclesia, and it's a joy to be with you. We're obviously a lot closer to you this morning, and uh, this wasn't done on purpose, but uh, it, it's preparatory for next week because uh, we're going to be a lot closer next week. And I didn't want you to be surprised, like, oh, that's what that guy looks like, and not come. And so you get to see us this morning, and, uh, and we're obviously a lot closer and on the same level, and uh, this is going to be what it's like. We're moving into our new space next week. We're excited about that, and uh, I'll talk more about that in uh, a little bit later in the sermon, but we're excited to be uh, having an official move date, to be able to move into our space, to begin to gather together. And uh, we're halfway through December. Christmas is almost here. We have lots going on. Uh, we're moving. We, we just wrapped up a, a week of prayer. Today is our final day of our week of prayer. And many of you guys have jumped in on that. And that's been super exciting just to hear even stories and testimonies of, of people, of what, uh, how God has met them in that time and how they've experienced the Lord's closeness and proximity in that time. Uh, even yesterday, we, we uh, walked some of the businesses around our new gathering location and uh, just saw a lot of fruit from that time. And we're excited to be back out. I think it's at 3 p.m. this afternoon. We'll be back out uh, praying around the neighborhoods there. Uh, would encourage you to join us. And uh, it's just been a, a joy to see all that God's doing. And we're excited to begin meeting there next Sunday. And I uh, hope you'll join us. We'll send out the address if you haven't been to the, the new location. Be sure and uh, get that to you guys. Um, right after today, we're doing uh, joining the family lunch. And so if uh, you, hopefully many of you have made reservations for that already. And uh, coming to see what it looks like to be a part of that, to see a family. And officially really step in and join the mission here. We're excited. And uh, celebrating Christmas Eve here in... Uh, you know, like 13 days, 12 days. So we're close. We've got a lot going on. Uh, as I reflect on, on the last year, uh, this today is one year anniversary of appointing our elders. And, uh, and I just want to say what a gift it's been to be able to serve with these men. Uh, to think a year, it seems like for probably most of us, like yesterday. Uh, but God has done a lot in the course of a year. And I know you've been blessed uh, by their leadership. I've been blessed to work alongside them. Um, and so I just want to give them a round of applause. Thankful for these men who have served us this last year. Uh, talking about one of our elders, uh, Josh Opp, who's uh, one of our elders, uh, was asked to, to preach a sermon at Christmas time. I believe it was at his dad's church. And we've laughed as a family alongside him uh, because the, the title of his sermon was Christmas is War. And, and I've always thought that was a unique sermon title to preach at Christmas time. And it, it's always been a joy kind of heckling him about that. You know, just like coming up, it's a, it's a peaceful time, right? We're thinking of. You know, Christmas trees and Santa Claus and families and present presents and, and it's like Christmas is war. I was like, whoa, that's it's it's intense, right? Like there's an intensity to this idea that Christmas is war. And it it may be, you know, maybe not your most typical thought when it comes to Christmas, but the more I studied today's passage, 
What actually kept coming to mind for me? Christmas is war. Christmas is war. And, and, and really, I want us to, to begin to see this. I know that it's, it's for many of us, we, we paint Christmas as this peaceful, serene idea. But Jesus came into a moment in, in history where a people were hopeless, where it was dark. And, and he came to bring light, to enter into the conflict and brokenness of our world and bring hope in the midst of that. And this all goes back to Genesis chapter 3. And so uh, we don't have words on a screen, so I, I hope you'll kind of flip there, whether you're on your, uh, your fake Bible, your digital Bible on your phone or iPad, or like an actual real copy, like printed words and pages. Um, would encourage you to kind of follow along and take notes. Genesis chapter 3. Right after the creation of Adam and Eve, the serpent, who is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he came to the woman and he said, did God actually say? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And God, God has given these commands to Adam and Eve. God given these rules to protect them, to preserve life, uh, so that they would uh, be fruitful, so that they would cultivate and create. And, and all of these things, God gave them these rules as a sense of protection, not as a, out of a, a sense of wanting to be this ultimate killjoy. But the serpent comes and he's crafty, remember, and he's... And he's asking questions. What did God actually say? The serpent in verse 4 said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Basically, he's saying God's withholding from you. There are things that God doesn't want you to fully step into. God doesn't want you to become. And, and when you take of that, you'll become of these things in God's withholding. In verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be de desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And if you know the story, uh, God called for them, and they ran and they hid because they were afraid. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, we see the Lord speaking again to Adam and Eve. And it says in verse 14 that the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. In verse 15, I will put enmity... Between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, you may not hear this in this passage, but those are fighting words. Okay? These are fighting words. What, what we hear in this text is that this offspring of this woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. These are, these are fighting words. This idea of enmity, this hostility, this conflict that is 
that is here in this passage. And what our passage teaches us today in 1 John chapter 5 is that it is Jesus who crushes the serpent. And it's faith in Jesus that helps us wage war and be victorious over the enemy. So let's go back to our passage in 1 John and see the connection. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of them. Here's the first point. You should write this down. Being born of God gives birth to faith. Being born of God gives birth to faith. This passage is all about faith. When we read in verse 1, everyone who believes, it's saying everyone who has faith that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This passage is all about faith. Verse 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Where does faith come from? And what's interesting in this passage is we think faith comes from us. We give birth to faith. And we may read this passage and think, isn't this out of order? Shouldn't you have faith and then you're born of God? That seems like the, the correct order of events. That If we were to line this up in and, and, and kind of like the sequence of events of how this unfolds, that one would have faith and then they would be born of God. But here's what it says. It says that you are born of God and then a person has faith. Anyone who believes has been born of God. Our belief, our faith is evidence of us being born of God. Now, I know it's confusing because I look back and I, and I think when, when I came to faith in Jesus, it was me deciding to follow Jesus. It was me coming to this point and, and I said, I, I choose Jesus. I have decided and, and I'm moving forward like I want to walk with Jesus. And it was the sense of where I felt like I was initiating when in reality, the Bible teaches that it's a response. Our faith in Jesus is a response of being born of God. God is the initiator of our faith. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I think that's fascinating. Without God working, without God moving, without God creating new birth, without God creating new creation, we would never choose God. And it goes back, and we can read about this in John chapter 3. We, we see this idea of Jesus talking with uh, the, the man Nicodemus. And it's this idea of being born again. No one can, be, be, can see the, and experience the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And he talked about this idea of two births. That you would be born of water and of spirit. And what's interesting in this passage is in verse 11, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And Nicodemus in verse 9 says, how can these things be? And he's like, exactly. You don't understand. You can't understand these things. Unless God illuminates our mind and gives faith and, and causes us to be born again. You have to be born again to give birth to faith. 
I uh, was watching a show. We, we recently uh, became fascinated with Welcome to Earth. Anybody seen Welcome to Earth? Will Smith. I'm the only one. Good. All right. One other person. Awesome. We see that hand. Okay. Now, I, maybe as I go on in the story here, you'll understand why maybe only one other person. We're learning about slime mold last night. Okay. Slime mold. I thought this was fascinating. It was this idea talking about the swarm mentality that we see in wildebeest in, in Africa or you, you come to like, uh, you know, honeybees and you see this idea of the swarm. Or you see like when you, when you drive past, you know, uh, uh, a field where there's tons of birds and they all fly together and you're like, how, how do they kind of mold into this swarm? And they kind of take you along these different, uh, uh, different places to kind of talk about the instincts that are in uh, all different types of organisms and animals. And it came down to slime mold. Now, I'll be honest, it's the first time I've ever even knew that slime mold is a thing and started discussing it. And, but it, it kind of came in on a microscopic level, looking at slime mold, talking about the swarm mentality. And slime mold comes and, and takes over an object and begins to eat and absorb all the food that's there. And when the food is gone, for slime mold to be able to survive, it has to, the slime mold comes together and becomes a total new creation. Right? This is crazy. It's fascinating. But right here in like some of the smallest organisms of our world, we see this idea of to be able to survive, a new creation had to be birthed. And so all of these little, I don't even know what they're called, aspects of, of slime mold come together. They form this brand new creation and they kind of begin to branch off whatever object and, and some of the, the slime mold actually die in the process. There's death in the process, but it gives life to this new creation that something comes along and picks up the slime mold and they begin to eat all the food. But it's, it's this idea of if we're going to survive, you have to become new. And I was just sitting there watching this and I knew I was preaching this morning. And I was like, it's exactly what has to happen to us. We have to be like slime mold, right? And, and if you're not intrigued yet, all right, you, you need to go watch it. It's fascinating. You'll learn a ton. If we're going to have a fighting chance in this world, this passage is going to get to talking about overcoming the world. You can never overcome the world if you're of the world. You have to be made new. God has to create something in us brand new. It's not a better version of us. It's not like we just need help. Right? I was at our new building. I was hanging a banner. It was totally foolish. I backed my truck up to the building. I put a ladder in the back of the truck. You know, I'm stacking things to be able to get high enough. I'm hanging there with a 13-foot banner, you know, a drill in one hand, a screw in the other. And I'm trying to, and a guy drove by and he's like, you need help? And I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> my wife, who's holding the ladder down at the bottom, she goes, yes, he does. <laughs> and the guy was like, that's, that's a great picture of, of like a man. Right? Because, man, oh, uh, no, we got this. I don't need any help. 
And what this passage is, is Justin Bendel needs more than help. I need to be born again. I need to be made completely new. And when I'm made completely new, it gives birth to faith. But you ask, faith in what? And if you read back in the passage, it says, everyone who believes, everyone who has faith, what? That Jesus, and not only Jesus, but that Jesus is the Christ. There's some accuracy that is needed into discerning who is Jesus? What do we have faith in? Faith that Jesus is the promised and coming Messiah. The idea is the Jews believed in Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They, they believed in Jesus. He's Jesus. Herod believed in Jesus. Many people believe in the historical person, character of Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. You look at the crucifixion of Jesus in Luke chapter 23. It says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah. The chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, this is king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Then Jesus spoke to that man, remember, or then the man spoke to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal on the cross recognized not only that he was Jesus, but that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the Christ. Maybe a question for us this morning is, who is Jesus to you? Just a historical character? Just a fictitious character, a great teacher, a nice guy, or is he the long-awaited Messiah? Everyone who believes, everyone who has faith has been born of God. And you're saying, maybe this morning that's not you. And maybe you'll make a prayer like the guy in Mark 9, 24 that says, I believe, help my unbelief. And this prayer, it's basically just acknowledging that without God, we cannot even believe. We need His help. We need His engagement. He has to create new birth in all of us. Let's move on to the passage. The rest of verse 1. It says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Now what's interesting is I read this passage this week I struggled with this passage. There's a lot of difficult things to navigate in this passage. He starts off by saying, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of them. So, we've been born again. We've been adopted into a new family. We have a new dad. And we look around and we go, we got tons of brothers and sisters, right? We see that the, the church, like we're, we're a family. We love God. And we're going we're gonna to love all these guys too. This is the picture. But here's where it gets difficult. All throughout the letter of 1 John, it says this. We know we love God when we what? 
Obey His commands and love the children. That's been the kind of the rhythm that has flowed. We know we love God when we love the children. But here's what it says in this next verse. How do we know we love the children? It says, you'll know this when you love God and obey His commandments. And you're like, oh my gosh, which is it, right? It's kind of this circular idea. You know you love God if you love His children and obey His commandments. And you know you love His children when you love God and obey His commandments. And you're like, what, what do I do with this? And that's kind of what I did this week. Driving around in my truck, right? I'm like, what is, how am I supposed to make sense out of all this? And here's what I'd say. When we look at the commands of God, not only are the commands of God moral, but they're relational. Okay? In Matthew chapter 22, 35 through 40, Jesus is talking about the commands of God, the rules of God, the commandments. And one of them said, a lawyer asked him a question to come and test him. He said, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There we go. We got love God, right? You shall, you shall, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, loving God, loving your neighbor, depend all the law, all the commandments. Everything is fulfilled in those two things. And so this idea of going like, if we love God and we obey His commandments, then that would truly be the most loving thing we can do for our neighbor. And if we love our neighbor, then it's evidence that we love God and obey His commandments. And it's this idea, this is how we're trying to really kind of grasp. So I I would ask you, uh, let's take a commandment. Thou shalt not kill. All right. So if I love God and I follow His commandment and I go, okay, God, you said don't kill. I'm going to take you at your word. That would show love for my neighbor, right? If I didn't kill you, that would be loving towards you, right? Everybody shake your head. Anybody want, like, no, you're like, that's good. Pastor's not going to kill us today because the word of God tells me not to, all right? So we, I love you by loving God and obeying his commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. We, we look at a text like this and go, you know, there, there's something you have that I want. But if I'm to love God and to obey His commandments, I'm to, to not covet. And the reason why I, I don't covet is because I can truly rejoice with you that you have that and I don't. Versus if I'm in a place where I'm like, hey, I really want that sweater. Like, I really want that sweater. I want to wear that sweater. I, I like that sweater. Why did you get that sweater? I, I can't truly love you and be happy with you and rejoice with you. And you may go, well, what about the other commandments? Like, love the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And then we can look at this commandment and I go, you know, it's easy to make you guys gods in my mind. And I'm, I'm looking to you to fulfill things or to satisfy things or to, to, to bring some sense of approval or acceptance in my life. And you were never intended to do that. And so the most loving thing I can do for you is let God be God and let people be people. And we see how closely tied this idea of obeying the commandments, of loving God and loving others and how they're connected. But, but then it gets really crazy 
And, and this is where I totally lost it because he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I was like, yes, they are. Anybody agree with me? Commandments are burdensome. I'm like, God, why, why in the world do you ask us to do that? That's really hard. I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. But John either has a secret that he... Hopefully he'll reveal to us, and he does, because that's how the Bible works. He, he tells you. But it's like, where am I missing it? Where, where, where do I, because I experience the commandments of God to be burdensome at times. And here's what I'd say, point number two. Yeah, we're only two in, all right? We got four, two in. We got time. God's rules are weighty. When God's love isn't weighty. God's rules are weighty when God's love isn't weighty. Last, last week we talked about God's love for us. And I was like, I know it's a, God loves you and it's a simple message. And, but we need to know that. We need that to resonate in our hearts. We need that to impact our lives. We need to get it from our head to our heart and to our hands. We need to know and believe that God loves us. And when we believe... That God is not loving us when we believe, go back to Genesis chapter 3, that God is withholding us from us. When God is not looking out for me, when God is not protecting me, when God is not caring for me, but God is restraining me, God's commands become a burden. God, why are you doing that? And we begin to wrestle with that. Charles Spurgeon says, now anything which makes us think that God's will is grievous or burdensome is of the spirit of the world against which we have to fight. Anything that causes us in this world to go God's rules, commandments are burdensome is of this world. And that's what we're fighting against. That's what we're waging war against. That's why Christmas is war. I'll give you this illustration. This past week, I asked permission to give this Illustration, by the way. I asked my son, Jet, if I could do this. Last week, Jet was asked to clean his room. Now, you and I, we've been asked to clean our rooms before. That's not fun, right? As adults, we don't like cleaning our rooms sometimes. But Jet was asked to clean his room. And let's just say that didn't go over so well, right? He was a little upset. If he were to respond, maybe he would say, you know what, mom and dad, your rules are burdensome. They're burdensome. And he went up the stairs to his room where he continued to understand like they were burdensome and let us know that they were burdensome, right? But about 30 minutes later, Amber went up and he had cleaned his room. Okay? Everything was clean. You're like, rarity, right? Like, this is awesome. Way to go. And he said, look, Mom. And he had a jar on the top of his headboard. And it was filled with all these. And he said, I filled it with all my special things. Filled it all up. All the things that he loves. He's like, these are, these are all my special things. And then he sat quietly for like 30 seconds like he was thinking and pondering. And he goes... To his mom. 
If you could fit in there, I'd put you in there too. <laughs> what in the world? We see this journey, and you're like, man, God is at work, right? Like, this is awesome. And we, we see this, this picture. Why? Because mom's rules aren't burdensome when mom's love is, is so on display. Like, there's a sense where the love that he had for his mom was the catalyst to, like, get to work. This is how it works when we truly believe that God is not out to rob us of things, but is out to love us, to protect us, to preserve us. And when we have faith to believe that, that faith becomes a catalyst to see God's rules as not burdensome, but as a delight. Next verse. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Our faith. For everyone who's been born of God, we've been born of God, we've been given faith. That faith allows us the opportunity to overcome the world. Point number three. The world is out to overcome us, but we must overcome the world. There is a world, a worldview, an enemy that we're out to overcome. And, and this is that idea of that conflict that is seen in that passage. If, if we feel like God's commands are burdensome, if you feel weighed down this morning, if you feel like you're limping and bruised from following Jesus, this is why the world's out to overcome us. The world's out to overcome our faith, but we need the faith to overcome. It's this idea of going like the, the world is out to, to cause us to believe that God's rules are burdensome. And I love Sam Alberry, who's a theologian and writer. He says, come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated. Christmas is for the weary, for the messed up, for the broken. If your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's this idea of going, if you're feeling overcome, if you're feeling overwhelmed, that's the war. That's the war that Jesus is stepping into, engaging and giving you the faith to overcome. You can't hide from the world. Some of us go, well, I'll just, I'll just run from the world. Maybe it's like a, a soldier who's gone to war. Who retreats, who runs and hides. And believes that in, in doing so, he has actually overcome the enemy. If you asked him, do you, do you feel like a conqueror? He would say no. Why? Because it requires us facing the world. We have to face the world. Maybe a question for us this morning. How many of us are, are truly out to overcome the world? And how many of us are entertaining the world? How many of us are truly out to overcome? Charles Spurgeon again says, There remains for us only one of two courses. Either the world must overcome us and we must yield to it. Or else we must overcome the world and cause it to submit to us. We are out to overcome the world. Verse 5. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What's interesting is the idea there, overcome. It's the Greek word, and I won't say it pronounced, but where we get Nike. It's victory. What a great slogan. Like if you were going to make like some sportswear or tennis shoes, like you should call it Nike. That would be awesome, right? But here's what I would... uh, would have you consider your sportswear doesn't help you overcome the world okay it won't your strategies don't help you overcome the world your church attendance doesn't help you overcome the world your good works don't help you come overcome the world it tells us what helps us overcome the world faith that jesus is the son of god that's what helps us overcome the world So, number four, we overcome the world by faith. We overcome the world by faith in the one who overcame the world. We overcome the world by faith in the one who overcame the world. It says who. And it's a question. And I want you to consider that John's asking you, who wants to overcome the world? And this is where you go, we do. Okay? You yell that out. Thank you. Strong. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Who wants to overcome the world? We do. Uh, kind of we do. Right? Kind of. We all do. We want to. And, it, and it's this rhetorical question that's asked to us. Who wants to overcome? Who wants to be victorious? Who wants this life where the commands of God are not burdensome, but a delight? Who is it? And I'm saying, I, I do. Why? Because I feel overcome by the world sometimes. Do you? Anybody feel overcome by the world? Yeah, I want to overcome the world. I don't want the world to overcome me. This week, if I'm honest, very practical here. Let me talk about how does faith help us overcome? I felt like I was being overcome by the world. Okay? And, and I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, be subtle and you're like, come on, Justin, really? Like... Really, I struggle with this. We set out to move into our building. When? December 12th. When are we moving into our building? December 19th. I was discouraged. And some of you are like, it's just a week. And I go, yeah, I know. But a lot of our team and a lot of our people have been pushing this thing since July. So it's like one more week of just sitting with the weight and burden and like approval and all the deadlines and feeling like we're having to move this thing forward. And I was like, I just want to like not be property management anymore. You know, like I don't I don't want this role anymore. I want to be done with that. And and I, I just felt like it was coming to this point. I'm like, all right, like here's the day. Here comes the inspector. And Josh was with me and the inspector came and I'm like. Hey, no, see, like, we're installing the exit sign here. This is coming in. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, it needs to be completed. And I'm like, it's being completed. You know, I'm like struggling with him, wrestling with him, trying to get this. And I left that meeting when he's like, it's not going to happen. And I left discouraged. I called Emily because Emily was helping us communicate on a time frame. I was like, hey, it's not happening. It's not happening. She's like, I know it's, it's a discouragement. And... You're like, hey, it's, it's, it's just a week. What's the big deal? And I think for when I wrestled with it and when I sat there, I was like, I was looking for relief from it. 
And over the course of the next hour, my perspective changed. And the Lord is kind to allow scripture that I'm teaching. And I try almost every week to go like, Lord, do this work in me through this text first before I can like filter it out to our church and, and like do this work in me. Because I, I'm supposed to believe I want to be victorious and I feel defeated right now. But somehow faith is going to give me victory in this and, and I want to overcome and I, I want to, to feel this sense of achievement. And I would say as I sat with the news, my perspective changed over the course of the next few hours. My emotions, whether or not they were irrational or not, I began to feel like not getting this approval and not moving forward robbed me of joy, satisfaction. And I felt like the Lord just began to remind me of what we're talking about. It says, really, I felt like the Lord said, hey, Justin, satisfaction doesn't come from the world, but faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Hey, Justin, relief doesn't come from the world, but faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Hey, Justin, joy doesn't come from the world, but faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Justin, significance doesn't come from the world, from our jobs, but faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. These things are all found in me. You, you want rest. You want to be relieved from this job. And Justin, rest can be found in me through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, knowing that I'm working on your behalf. And this, what I began to discover is, it's how we fight. This is how we fight with faith. Remembering who Jesus is. Remembering what Jesus came to bring. Remembering that Jesus has already won over Satan's sin and death. He's victorious. We can be victorious. In fact, the very, like, it's, it's written in the present tense, which means... You're being victorious right now in this very moment. We are winning. We are overcoming right now. It's to wage war against this. Jesus came to, to cause us to be born again, to move us to a place of faith, to move us to a place of faith in Jesus Christ. To move us to a place of faith in Jesus Christ. That He's our Messiah. And that we wage war against the world by constantly reminding ourselves of who Jesus is and what He's done. I close with this invitation. Pastor John Piper says, For the Lord holds out many good things to you in this text. If you want to know that your love for others is real, and not just self-deception. If you want to have the power to obey the commandments of God. If you want to find a life that is loving and at the same time not burdensome. If you want to overcome the deceptive power of the world. Then consider the infinite superiority of the Son of God. And put your faith in His forgiveness for your sins. And His promises for your future. Why? Because whoever has the Son has life. Let's pray.